the scene here that Ezekiel is brought into is heavy. The scene that he walks into is, is horrific. It's like, it's like this mix between the visitations that Ebenezer Scrooge had on Christmas Eve night and like a post-battlefield scene of Saving Private Ryan. The, and and when, you, when you look and pause upon these first three verses of the passage, what you'll notice is, is, is that the, the prophet of God isn't simply just shown this valley of dry bones, but the words are very explicit to us that he, with the hand of the Lord upon him, is being brought back and forth, back and forth through this valley. It's as if God is wanting Ezekiel to meditate on this scene. It's as if God is wanting Ezekiel to memorize every little area of this, for, for this imagery to just be like, like to be seared into his mind. Come here, Ezekiel. Come over here. Come look at this area. Do you see this mound of bones? Let's go a little bit further. Come with me over here. Do you see this area? Do you see this space? Do you see this, 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 this laid waste area of these bones that are so brittle that if you might pick them up, they would just crumble in your hand? Do you see them, Ezekiel? Let's go further. Do you see this area over here? Do you see this space of desolation? Do you see this place of hopelessness? Let's go back. Let's go back and let's visit this area again. Do you see it? I want you to see every single space. It's as if God is, is just wanting Ezekiel to, 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 to capture, to sit with the heaviness of this scene. He wants it to be overwhelming. It's like as if God desires for Ezekiel just to be sitting in this space and just overwhelmed with what's happening. Do you see the hopelessness of this valley? Do you see how far gone things have become? Do you notice how dry these bones are? Do you notice that Ezekiel writes that there's not just a valley of bones, but there is a valley of very dry bones. Ezekiel, do you see how far this scene is from the vibrancy of life? Do you notice it? The scene is horrific. The scene is, is gruesome. A little bit of context for you. At this point in Israel's history, they're in exile in Babylon. The, the stories is if you read through, for example, the stories of First of, of Samuel through through like Second Kings uh, Chronicles, First Chronicles and Second Chronicles, you'll see that 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 story after story that Israel has rebelled. That Israel, though that they are given this beautiful gift of of of, of God dwelling with them, they so often turn away from from the commands of the Lord and they live with injustice and they live with oppression and they set up altars to other gods and they. They even go as far as sacrificing children upon these altars. I mean, it's just a scene that is absolutely horrific. When, 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 
When Ezekiel is, is telling the story throughout his book, you'll find that earlier in this book, is, Ezekiel has this vision where he even sees that the glory of the Lord leaves the temple that's in Jerusalem and moves away from it. While the people in is, of Israel are in exile, word comes to them that not only has God's glory left that temple, but they get word that the, te the temple is absolutely laid waste. It's in rubbles. That the imagery that's given to us, when you think about the context of what's happening here, and you've, as we even read, that the common question that's, that's here amongst the people of Israel is, is, we've gone too far, haven't we? God's left us, hasn't he? We're, we're in exile because of our sin and our rebellion and, and, and our violence and our greed. That's it, isn't it? It literally says it. Our hope is dried up. There's, there's no more going forward from here. They're in exile. For them, the, the imagery is God is here in Jerusalem, but they are not here, they're over here. And the imagery is we are cut off from the presence of the Lord. That's the understanding that exists amongst God's people right here, right now. And a little bit of context about the prophet Ezekiel, man, read this book and you'll trip out. <laughs> Ezekiel is a unique character in the pages of Scripture. He is given just these wild commandments, and he follows through with them. Like, I want you to just lay on your side for an entire year in the middle of the street. And I want you to cook your food over cow dung. Like, just, and, and the, the imagery is like that, the, the, the post-apocalyptic, apocalyptic kind of literature where, where there's all these, this imagery, and, and Ezekiel words is, uses words like, it's as if, and you just read through it, and people are just like, People have commented upon the book of Ezekiel, and it's like, it's like the prophet of God is on an acid trip. Like, it is a strange read. It's wild commentary that's taking place. But one of the things that you read about and, 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 and you discover as you read through this book, actually from the very get-go, is that Ezekiel is called to go out and, and, and to live out to demonstrate these wild and weird scenarios to show the people of Israel like this is, this is how strange things are right now for us. This is the place of, of desolation and hopelessness that we find ourselves in. But the other thing that, is, that, that you hear when you read through the book of, of Ezekiel is that he, the calling that's upon him, God tells him very clearly, and as you go out and you preach these things, the people won't listen to you. I mean, Ezekiel has a tough calling that everywhere he goes and everywhere that he preaches, no one is listening. No, people will, will reject what he has to say or they, it just won't even, it won't even register for them. And this is what ministry has been like for the prophet Ezekiel. And so you can, you can now gather what the scene is like in front of him. This is what life has been like 
is it's just a people that, that are just filled with this hopelessness, like God has left us. And Ezekiel, in his own place of dryness, can you imagine this lifelong calling of going out and people just not listening? So we've been in this sermon series over the past few weeks called The Questioning God. And in the sermon series, what we've been doing is just going over a wide variety of different passages in Scripture where God asks humanity a question. Um, there's a variety of questions that God asks, and so we visited the story of Cain and Abel and, and God asking uh, Cain, you know, why is your countenance fallen? Um, Jesus stood before a paralytic man and asked him, do you want to be made well? Um, there, there's, there's a variety of times when God asks humanity questions, and like we've been reflecting on, it's not because God needs more information. He's the one that knows our hearts, and he's the one that knows us better than we know ourselves, but it's like he asks humanity questions because he wants to bring things to the surface of our own lives. The places in which we are ignorant of, of what's happening in the depths of our being, God comes and asks us questions like, son of man, can these bones live? Because he wants to probe our hearts and he wants to reveal what's happening within us. And I believe that he wants to lead us to places of healing and hope and wholeness. So he comes to his prophet as he sees this, this grotesque picture in front of him, and he starts the question by asking this, son of man, son of man, ben Adam, ben Adam. Interestingly, if you look at other translations, I intentionally chose the NIV because it, it, it highlights this, this word, son of man, but like the NRSV, which I often will read from, will say mortal, mortal. Can these bones live? The, the title given to the prophet Ezekiel, it's used something of like 90 times throughout the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is called son of man, son of man, son of man. Now, for, the, for those of you that, that love studying scripture, you might be even thinking right now, Jesus is often called the son of man as he's uh, being described throughout the gospel accounts. It's, it's, it's a little bit different on how son of man is being used for Ezekiel and how son of man is being used for Jesus. Son of man is, for Jesus is so often showing that, that, that he is he's the descendant of Adam. He's the son of God. Right, that, that he is the one that is our fulfillment and he's our hope, that, that all of our hope in is this, in, in this, this man, Jesus, who will make a way for us to have life with God. Uh, son of man in, for, for Ezekiel is so often used to highlight his frailty. You're, you're immortal. You're, you're fragile. You're a person of the dust. So, so this, this phrase that, Jesus, um, that God starts with by asking him, Ben Aram, he's, he's highlighting for Ezekiel what Ezekiel already knows. I'm a man of the dust. I'm a man that's brittle. I'm a man that's weak. I'm a man without hope. 
my humanity is on full display in front of you. I am fragile and I am weak. New York Times, um, New York Times uh, article came out earlier this year, written by Jancy Dunn, and the title of the article was called "The Middle-Aged Grown." And uh, the author goes on um, of this article goes on to to describe what this middle-aged grown is. She writes, like many other people, I have this playlist of activity-specific grunts and gasps when I'm heaving myself out of a chair. I sound like Rafael Nadal returning a volley. I'm reaching for something, and I release a wheezy oof. Why does this happen? Is it a sign of getting older? I couldn't find any research on what I've termed the middle-aged groan, but every expert I consulted knew instantly what I was talking about. Meryl Alapatu, a research assistant professor of physical therapy at the University of Florida and faculty member in the Pain Research and Intervention Center of Excellence, told me that when she pick, bends over to pick things up, she says, I will sort of grunt and say, oh, my mother, in my parents' native language, which is Malayalam and Indian dialect. As people get older, Dr. Alapato explained, just bending over to pick things off of the floor might require a bit more exertion. And we tend to brace ourselves. And exhaling, she said, could be contributing to that grunt or whatever sound you make. As we get older, we start making these noises just to be able to move. Son of man, mortal, your frailty is front and center in your life. You can easily see what is broken. You can easily see what doesn't work. You can easily imagine how things are not going to work out. You can see how very evident it is that everything before you is laid waste. Can these bones live? Ezekiel, you know your own limitations. You've known the story. People aren't listening to you. You know your own frailty. You know your own inability to get people to, to act on the things that you're saying. Is there hope? Can there be life here? Can God bring life to dust? And with intentionality and, Jesus, and genius, God asks in a way by, 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 by connecting us back to the creation account. Ben Aram, can, can these bones have life breathed into them? And we want to immediately answer, yes, 
Yes, because Genesis chapter 1 very clearly shows us that, God, you form humanity from the dust of the earth and you breathe life into them. Yes, the answer is yes, they can live. Listen, when you come into to the, to the church foyer, on your left, there's a banner that we intentionally have there, and it's, a, and it's words that every four-square church has somewhere in their worship center, and it says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's meant to be a reminder to us that what God has done for Adam, he can do for us. And it's meant to prompt us towards hope. What God did then, he can do now. Son of man, can these bones live? But listen, I think that God asks this question because he actually wants us to sit with it. Is the story of Adam just the story of old? Or does it reveal something about the character and nature of God and the way that he wants to move in your own life today? Is this just a book of history or is this a book that reveals to you that what God has done in the past, he's still up to right here, right now? And don't rush to answer yes. Don't rush to just say, yeah, you can do it, but actually, like, sit with it. You, mortal person, you who knows full well your limitations, you who know very well your lack of strength and your lack of hope, right? You who know very well your inability, your frustrations, your anger, your disappointments. Sit with that. Don't answer too quickly. Ben Aram. Do you have hope? Do you have a hope? Does hope, does the fullness of life flow through your veins right now? What's intriguing about this passage is that verse 3 doesn't have to exist here, and the story would still provoke us toward hope. What, what, the way that things could play out is that verses 1 and 2 happen where, where the hand of the Lord is placed upon Ezekiel and God takes him back and forth throughout the valley, showing him the desolation in front of him, and then you could skip verse 3 and go immediately over to verse 4 and, and have God then give a command to Ezekiel that says prophesy to these bones so that they might live. God doesn't have to ask the question. And, and, and knowing Ezekiel and knowing the craziness that, that kind of ensues throughout his book, the wild nature of his book, he is regularly obeying the commands of the Lord. 
He's regularly given these, these wild and strange commands, and he follows through on them. So if God now gives him this vision of this valley of dry bones and then tells him, prophesy to these bones, I bet you that Ezekiel would start prophesying to these bones. But for some reason, there's this inner little intermission here. There's this little say law, kind of pause kind of moment where Ezekiel's stopped by the presence of the Lord, and he's asked a question. Son of man, can these bones live. It's as if God's not simply looking for rule followers. He's not merely looking for people who will just do his commandments. but he's looking for a relationship. It's as if God genuinely cares about what's happening in the depths of Ezekiel's heart. It's as if God isn't just wanting Ezekiel to go out and to prophesy, but he wants Ezekiel to dialogue with him. And, and in this moment, I think that what God is doing is, is he's bringing to the surface Ezekiel's hopelessness and his frustrations and his pain and all that this daunting season, what it's been like for him. That God genuinely cares. Mortal man, do you think, do you believe that these bones can live? Do you, do you genuinely believe that, that life can, can be brought here? I don't want you just to, don't hurry up and just don't, don't just immediately start prophesying. Don't immediately just start doing what you think I want you to do, but let's explore together the health of your soul. Mortal man, do you think that these bones can live? I think a lot of times what we can tend to do is arrive before the Lord how we think we ought to arrive before the Lord. Kyle Strobel, if you can bring the quote up on, on, on the screen, he, he says this about prayer. What we fail to realize is that prayer isn't a place for us to be good or right. And it isn't a place for us to perform or prove our worth. It's a place for us to be honest, present, and known. A place for us to offer ourselves and receive God. By asking, mortal man, do you think that these bones can live? It's this invitation from the Lord. Don't just give me the answer that you think I want to hear. But give me the truth. Don't just tell me what you think is the correct answer to the test. 
be honest with me. I think there's another quote. Is it from C.S. Lewis? And it says, it says this, we should bring to God what is in us and what ought. We, we should bring to God what is in us and what ought. Is, I think I wrote this wrong. But not what ought to be in us. Thank you. We, we have a tendency to bring to God what we think ought to be in us. I'm facing grief, so I ought to arrive filled with peace and comfort. I'm fearful for someone I love. I ought to show up in prayer filled with trust in God. I'm really hurt and angry. I ought to show up in prayer filled with love and forgiveness. Circumstances around me leave me questioning God, his goodness, and his faithfulness. I ought to be full of faith, firm and unwavering. And with all of these oughts at the, at the forefront of how we pray, it keeps us from expressing what we're really feeling and processing. We push down what we really are thinking and feeling, and we keep them from surfacing, and we put a gag on what is really happening within our souls. But do you see the interaction that takes place here? Ezekiel is asked by the Lord, Son of man, do you think that these bones can live? And does Ezekiel say yes? He doesn't. Says the Lord, you alone know. The answer is that Ezekiel gives is, you tell me, God. You let me know. And what Ezekiel here in this moment doesn't do is he doesn't lie to God about how he's feeling in the moment. He doesn't come before the Lord and say, yes, Lord, absolutely, you can do all things. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that these bones can live. No, he stands before the Lord and just says, I don't know. You tell me. You tell me. I'm missing a quote. <laughs> Actually, Eugene Peterson says it this way. He says, it's easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. It is nearly impossible to be honest before God in the dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress our negative emotions, unless neurotically we advertise them. Or when we do, we express, or when we do express them, we do it far from the presence or what we think is the presence of God ashamed or embarrassed to be seen in these cursed, stained bib overalls. But when we pray the Psalms, these classic prayers of God's people, we find that that will not do. We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. Mortal man. You, with all of your frustrations, you with all of your anger, you who might be disappointed in God, 
You were who were given this shoddy calling to go out into a world and have to speak things to people knowing full well that they're not going to listen to you. You who might be ticked off with the Lord because that's the calling placed upon you. Is there a place for hope? Can there be life here? And I love that what the Lord does here in this scenario, let's go to the second part of the question. He says, son of man, right? You know your mortality, you know your frailty, but then the Lord gets really, really specific with him. It's not just this general like, hey, can bones live? The question is, can these, can these bones live? I can declare and extol the goodness of God in some kind of abstract scenario. If you were to ask me, is God good, I might and very likely respond all the time. But what happens when I'm asked that question in very difficult circumstances and scenarios? What happens when I'm asked from the Lord this space, this scenario, can these bones live? That gets a little bit more difficult to start extolling the, pra- the praises of God. And, and, and Ezekiel is taken back and forth and back and forth. This scenario, the idolatry of Israel, the people that you've been preaching to and have been turning their back to you, the people that have set up altars and shrines in the very temple of God, the people that are doing pagan rituals at the altar of the Lord, those people that you've been ministering to, Ezekiel, can these bones live? What if the Lord were right now to give you a vision of him walking you back and forth, back and forth through your office space? What if, the, what if, what if the, the Spirit of the Lord talked, brought you through to, to, to a picture of, of, of your marriage? What, what, if, what if the Spirit of the Lord brought you to, into the space of your child's friendships and their education? What, what if the Lord brought you in, in, into a hospital wing of a loved one? What, what if the Spirit of the Lord brought you into that relationship, that, that broken and fractured relationship with that brother-in-law? What if, what if the Spirit of the Lord brought you into a very specific scenario in your life that you have no hope for right now? And he asks, mortal man, can these bones live? Can there be life here? The problem is, is the more we know about how difficult a scenario is, is the more difficult it is to pray with fervency and hope. When we're ignorant about a scenario, it's a whole lot easier to pray with vitality and hope and, 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 and like this, this, this belief that God's going to arrive. That's why often it's easier to pray for someone else who's in pain because I'm not experiencing the pain. And I can act with a whole lot of hope and belief that God's going to arrive in that scenario. But when I personally am going through the pain, I'm feeling it right there in that moment. And it's a whole lot harder to believe these bones can live. God gets very specific with, with Ezekiel. Is there hope in this space of your life?
here's what Christopher Wright says about this, this passage. Ezekiel was ministering to a people who were broken and battered in every conceivable way. This is what Ezekiel knows. This is what he's been given a tour of. This is each area, each pile of bones. This is what he's visiting. There were political, economical, economic, agricultural, social, judicial, religious, personal, relational, and spiritual dimensions to their sin and suffering. And God intended to tackle every aspect of that need. Every space, every area, God wanted to bring hope and life. And you can imagine for this prophet of God that had seen the full scale of Israel's idolatry and rebellion and rejection and the brokenness that he has been interacting with and counseling and walking through. It would take a whole lot of faith and trust that God was going to cause these bones to live. And the picture that Ezekiel is given isn't that now God raises up this limping and half-put-together body. But the picture that Ezekiel is given is of bodies fully alive. An army of God's people. The Spirit of God breathed into them. Do you have hope that in and through your life, God is moving things towards ultimate good? Don't just give the answer that you, you feel like you should give because you're sitting in a church building right now. Don't just be a good Christian and say, absolutely. Your life. Your life. Is God doing a good thing? Your scenario. Your space, your season, whatever it is you're walking through, is God bringing life. I, mean, I can tell you as like learning to pastor a community amidst a global pandemic and that being the first time ever, as there, there were spaces walking around this room on Saturday night crying out and saying, where in the world are you? Being in a place of just trying to figure out, God, is there space for hope? Are you up to something in my life? Are you doing something here? Because sometimes it's like the way the people of Israel were crying out and just believing amongst them. That's it. We're done. We've gone too far. There's no coming back from this. God has completely left us. <laughs> now, let me clarify. Listen, what I'm, not, what I'm not up here saying 
is some kind of prosperity gospel where you're going to win the lotto, you're going to get your dream house, and there are going to be absolutely no problems ahead for you because God is good all the time. That is not what we're preaching here. But it's the scenario and the circumstance where we're believing that even though I live in Babylon, I believe that the Spirit of God is moving in my life. And, and, and the, the stunning story of the, of, of the book of Ezekiel, the stunning story of the book of Ezekiel is that there they reside in Babylon. They reside in, in the city that is the archetype of human rebellion and sin and greed and violence. And the glory of the Lord lifts up from Jerusalem and moves into Babylon. That would be absolutely stunning to read about. That while Israel was cut off, living in exile, living in a land of their own making, the glory of God moved towards his people. And he met them where they were at. the story that Ezekiel regularly tells us is this. You will be surprised by the areas of your life where the presence of the Lord shows up. Whatever your Babylon is, whatever your place of hopelessness and desperation, whatever your place of anger and frustration, whatever the places of hostility and doubt exist in your life right now, the, those scenarios, whatever that they might be, son of man, those bones can live. There's hope. There's reason for hope. Because the same God who breathed life into Adam and made him a living being is moving in, this, in your world too. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Church, would you stand with me? God, you are at play all around us. Even when we fail to see it, even when we don't recognize it or are aware of it, you're moving. You're working. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now in this room and those that are even watching online, maybe even listening in a future date, would they know the fullness of joy? Would they know your abiding presence? Would, would the testimony and the stories of our lives be that, Lord, though we reside in Babylon, we believe that you can show up. Would you dwell with us? Would you make your presence known to us? 
Father, for anyone right here, right now, that is just in a difficult season or space of life, would you, would you breathe your spirit into their being? Revive us, restore us. Jesus, we have sung so many songs this morning about your goodness. And, and what I long for is that we wouldn't just sing these songs because we memorize them or they have a great melody to them, but Lord, what you, I believe you're constantly doing amongst us is that these songs would be flowing out of the depths of who we are and we would genuinely believe and be living out the things that we declare to you in song and praise. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that are honest before you. I pray that we would bring a people, we would be a people that would come before you and let you know what we, what we see happening in the depths of our hearts. Would we not shrink back, but would we have this beautiful conversational relationship with you where we know that we can trust you with our nightmares and our dreams. Lord, we are a broken people. Lord, over this past week, I, I imagine, I know in my own life, there have been times of failure, there have been times of frustration, there have been, there have been outbursts, there have, there have just been spaces in which I know I have not reflected your character and nature. I don't want to hide those things ever from you, Lord, but I want to come before you fully vulnerable and just say, Lord, whatever it is, that exists within me, Lord, I lay it bare before you, and I believe that in you there is hope and that in you there's life. So, Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we just ask, would you teach us to continue to genuinely follow you in every space of our lives? And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.